Welcome to Day 2 Cloud, you amazing human. Today's guest is someone I ran into at KubeCon and a former guest on the podcast. It's Tim Banks. He's the lead developer at Dell Technologies. And I was walking over to the Dell booth. He called me over and said, Ned, you promised me you'd have me on the show again. Where's my invite, dude? Well, here is his invite. And he joined us for the show to talk about a far-ranging uh, number of topics, right, Ethan? Well, we get into career, we get into interviews, how to conduct an interview, how to be a interviewee that stands out. We talk about a little bit about diversity and inclusion. We talk about we, we talk about a lot of things, Ned. Yeah, just an absolute joy. So enjoy this episode with Tim Banks. So let me ask you this question: What are your phones? What are your devices? Good question. Uh, I've been on Android since two thousand. Uh, 2007, I would say. So yeah, I've been on Android for a really long time as well. Uh, at the time, I like to fiddle around with my phone a lot. Back in 2007, I would install like the Android open source projects on there and things would be broken and it would be fine because it was before I was married. I didn't have any kids, no real responsibility. So if my phone's broken for two days, it's just fun. Fortunately, Android has matured to the point where it just kind of works now. and. Again, that's the operating system I got used to. And when I try to use an iPhone, I feel totally lost. I'm like, but how do I do things on this? I can figure it it's, out, but you know. It's so weird to me because I find that for the most part, the iPhone interface requires much less figuring out. Like, and I'll give you an example. My my parents were both boomers, like died in the wall, like leading edge. My dad was born in 46, like an actual like boomer, 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 right? Um, had an Android phone for a while, right? Mm -hmm. Could only do the basic things on it because it was not intuitive on how to do anything else, right? We switched into an iPhone, right? And it became a like, little movie director, like stuff like that, and automated <laughs> text message, like all these kinds of things because it's it was more intuitive for him, right? But we are, you know, context menu clickers and stuff like that. Like we want to do all these kinds of things. And for us, we want to be able to dig into stuff and kind of find out, find out all these other tools like that. Um, when I say for us, I mean like engineering types, right? Um, and so iPhone doesn't have that. And so we don't know what to do with it, right? I changed my opinion on that a while ago after I stopped building PCs, Right. And like, you know, Linux boxes and servers and gaming pieces and all kinds of stuff like that. I have a laptop. I've got, an, I've got some Mac laptop. I've got a, uh, you know, not for work, obviously, but for my personal, it's a Mac laptop. It's an iPad. Uh, it's an iPhone. And it's an Xbox. I don't have a gaming PC. I don't have a tower. I don't serve because I don't care, honestly, that much. <laughs> I literally just want it to work. Uh, I, I want to be able to, I want to be able to add a calendar reminder on one thing, have it show up in something else, right? you know, move, copy something and paste, like all those little simple things within the ecosystem. And so it's like it, it, you can, there's a lot of argument on to which operating system Android iOS is better or whatever like that. The thing that I feel like Apple wins on is the ecosystem, right? Absolutely. That does um, seem to be my experience as well. And, you know, same exact thing with my parents. My dad started with an Android phone. He's like probably the same. He's like a year older than your dad. And he started with an Android phone, could only do the basics, and then eventually got an iPhone because he was tired of not being able to do that. And then that came with the genius bar where he could just go to the Apple store and be like, walk me through this, explain yeah. it to me. And it was intuitive to him. And you know what he ended up doing? Buying a MacBook instead of his old 
uh, Windows based laptop. And mm-hmm. now, yeah, that that my family is like, aside from me, all Apple products. Uh, but I'm I'm the last holdout on Windows and Android. And 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 I think that's a really important story because we as you know, power users, whatever, we look at these things like, oh, well, they can do this and this and this and this, even though we know that our use cases are like the very, very, very <laughs> bleeding edge, right? To the point where it's impractical to plan product lines around us. Oh, yeah. Right. I, I um, do not. I'm not angry at any of the existing products for not catering to my weird niche use case. I know that I'm going to have to go back to the source or go back to uh, a more open operating system if I want that more complete experience. And maybe that's like an aspect of cloud computing too, is cloud tries to make things as streamlined and simple as possible. And I think that was the attraction of getting away from managing your own data centers and stuff. It's like, I don't want to build this stuff anymore. I don't want to build my custom gaming PC. I don't want to build my custom cloud. I just want to order it online and have it delivered to my house and open it up and everything just works together. Yeah, That's been my argument for having an Xbox this whole time. Right? <laughs> I literally just turn it on. I've got two, cord, two cords plugged into it. That's it. HDMI and power. Right? And it works. Nothing. I don't do anything else. You know, does the updates or anything like that. Sure. Little simple controller. I used to be a big clan gamer when I built gaming PCs and have a mouse and keyboard. And I just don't, I just literally don't care anymore. Play on the controller. <laughs> but I think it's interesting because like there is this, we lose context for why we create these things or for what these things are, are intended, right? A most most of the appeal of the Mac ecosystem, whether it's the ecosystem itself, that's interoperability, or whether it's the operating system interface, stuff like that, is to make technology approachable and accessible to people in a way that's elegant and intuitive, right? That while there are levels of customization open to you using other environments, operating systems, or whatever, right? Most people don't need that. Mm-hmm. Right. And when you can make something easy to do and easy to figure out for most of the use cases, that's going to be a very, very popular thing. Right. And, and it necessarily should. Why? Because it helps people get their foot in the door. Like, think about how many people our parents' age were kind of afraid of technology. Like, did you have to, who, who programmed your clocks or your VCR in your house? Because it was me. <laughs> you know, I'm raising my hand, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's 100%. Right. Me. Because the technology to do so, like just, just the idea of doing that was not intuitive to them, right? They didn't have to do, they wound clocks. They had, you know, so once you had to like program things and push all these buttons and do these combination of things, that that was hard for them to learn because it was not something that was intuitive. It wasn't, it wasn't necessarily easy. Even though it became road for us, we could figure it out because, you know, patterns were repeated. But for them, it was just really different, right? And so it gave us a way of understanding these things. but. As you make things, but but now that we know that this could have been more intuitive, right? You know, like does it can it set it automatically? Can you just turn, you know, push the button to set the clock, and then you know, can you speak into it? Can you ask this thing to draw you a picture of a thing? Like we create things that are that are intuitive and easy to use, right? And then we and then we you know kind of crap on people who are like, oh, you just use that easy thing, blah 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 blah, you know, like. And I say this as a VIM elitist. Right. Um, <laughs> that, 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 that I both, uh, uh, um, 
I both decry the use of, but totally understand and advocate the use of Nano, right? Um, because why? Because if you're, it's your first ever time at a terminal, using the arrow keys, stuff like that, it's easier. It's much easier for you to understand than using you know, all these other kind of stuff like that, right? Are, are you limited to do whiz-bang things? Yeah, probably, sure. But again, for most people, like you don't need that. I think there's a certain amount of punishment that's expected when you're becoming like a sysadmin or a technologist. The expectation is that it's hard and it's supposed to be hard. So we're going to make you use these arcane tools, sometimes because they're actually useful, but sometimes it's just because, well, that's what I had to learn. So yeah. I'm going to make you learn it as well. And I think that's definitely the wrong approach is just pushing these traditions forward because it's what I learned when I was coming up as a sysadmin. I mean, there is that level of gatekeeping, sure. And for a while, and, and the thing it was, it was a while a way of us saying, like, I, I possess this knowledge, so therefore I have value, right? <laughs> um, and and it's, it's very true, right? Because we have all, if you've been in this industry long enough, you all know you had that crusty old sysadmin or engineer that you'd have to go pay homage to if you wanted this one rare weird system that nobody used but you needed it now right <laughs> and now you've got to go bring this dude uh, uh a pack of a pack of uh uh cigarettes and a, and a mountain dew right so he'll create your user account on this system him his name was john he worked in the office next to me and he had an original at&t box that ran unix because of course he did and he smoked palm malls for the record <laughs> so 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 mine was camel lights right and his name was peter his name was joe i don't remember if he smoked or not but he had a sunbox and uh in order to get permission to do anything his first question was why do you need to do that yeah <laughs> i always got challenged immediately because it's part mm -hmm. of my job dude come on and uh, and so it's so funny because we now with the cloud, we're like, you don't have to do that anymore, right? And then what happened? We spent too much. We broke too many things. And now you still have to do it. Now it's just automated. You don't have to talk to Peter. But now you have a, an automated thing of Peter that will only give you these things if you answer these questions the right way. Right. And to a certain degree, my my Peter, my uh, my John, he wanted me to learn things like, like VI because it was going to be on every box that I encountered. And so he felt it was a fundamental skill that would pay dividends later on in life. And you know what? It actually did. So he was correct in that, but he wasn't correct in everything that I had to learn. No, no. Or, or, or nor was he correct in your way of having to learn it the hard way. Right. Right. In order to be, for it to be useful. Right. Uh, and so, so it's very interesting because we talk about this thing like in that way that they can always preserve that their value, that they always have basically a job, right? You think of this day, all the COBOL programmers that lost their job and now they got hired back. <laughs> all right. True. And they're going to they're gonna keep on being hired back, right? Um, you think about how many how many 32-bit Unix systems are still out there running that are going to that are going to need to be replaced or patched uh before 2038. Right. We so we've got these old systems that still exist, right? And we talk about people who like, you know, like we talk about the job market. It's very interesting, like. You know, there's been a bunch of layoffs here recently, and there was a bunch of people who, you know, we talk about, oh, well, I do this and I do this and I have this marketable skill, but there are so many people in that same field, 
right? New or old or whatever that are looking for this, looking for these roles, right? Um, that what do you distinguish yourself with now? Like, uh, or, or do we need to distinguish ourselves? That's the question. Like, are there, let's be honest, there's enough jobs to go around. A lot of these CEOs that are firing people are going to end up rehiring people as the year goes on. Then a few years later, they're going to say, oh, we made a mistake. They're going to let them go. And you know, go off on the tirade of how CEOs can can screw everything up and never actually have to bear any responsibility for it, the the employees and the customers do, right? Um, but that all said, right, you still get to this point where it's like, oh, it is very difficult for you to provide your own job security anymore because these tools have been standardized and the knowledge is now much more accessible. Even if it's difficult, it's still much more accessible. Mm-hmm. If if not by by uh, you know information out there in the community, or it's just been made easier, right? Um, you know, you don't have to provision an entire system from the ground up, right, in order to be able to write code like you used to, right? right? No one needs to know how many cylinders and sectors are on a drive, right, in order to partition it so that they can run some Python, right? That doesn't happen anymore, right? Right. Um, so so now you have like this accessible knowledge, but then you're not differentiated it differentiated by it anymore, right? You're differentiated by like, oh, you worked here, or you worked there, or you worked with this specific piece of this technology, that specific piece of technology, right? But we're starting to standardize a lot of that stuff, right? Right. So in that regard, people who were highly specialized before, do they have more job security because they're in a highly specialized portion of technology, whereas generalists are at a disadvantage? Or is it less about the skills you have and more about the people you know? I mean, it's going to depend. And we'll start with the first one. Are you, If you're highly specialized and you won the lottery of what skills, specialized skills are required, like I said, like COBOL or mm-hmm. something like that, Fortran or like that, yeah, you you did right, right? But if you specialize in being a BIOS system administrator, or you specialize in like Pascal, or you're a you know master of Perl, right? You might 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 not have lucked out on that draw, right? Um, you know, if you're if you're an Oracle guru, like your day's numbered, right? Um, but there's there's that aspect. I'm super specialized in something that's in demand. And then there's the other trough of like, I'm a generalist and I can figure anything or everything out, right? From a large scale to a small scale. So I can swim in any waters, right? Good enough, right? And so you've got, you've got here, you've got here. And in the middle, right? You got that people are not maybe generalists or not deep enough in any one thing, right? Where they're not like, where, where do I put you in? I can't put you anywhere and I can't put you like in this special niche. So what do I do with you, right? Yeah, you know JavaScript, you know this specific stack. Okay, well, 10,000 people know that same stack. How do we create more generalists would be something I think of because part of the reason, I I consider myself a generalist to a certain degree and it's because I was exposed to a whole bunch of different technologies and had folks that I worked with that were willing to share some information. So I was never a storage administrator, you know, down to managing the storage arrays and building all that out. But I knew one and I learned enough about that technology to generally be capable of it. And if something came along, I could figure it out. Right. And that was the case for a whole swath of technologies. How do we ensure that that generalist continues to exist as we move to sort of this more push button technology approach that we have with like cloud? 
the easier answer is you're you're not going to, right? Because it is not set up like that anymore. Right? Even if you own your own data center, right? You are still probably never going to have to rack and stack servers. You're not going to have to know how to polish the end of fiber optic cable before you can, you know, stick it into something like that. You're not going to have to know which way the ribbon cable goes, right? You which, which pins go where and what drive. You don't have to know none of that stuff, right? You're still going to provision your hardware using automated tools, the same automated tools you would use for anywhere in the cloud. So what does generalist look like now, right? Um, generalist now looks like, it's like, are you a software developer? Are you uh, uh, an operations person like me? I'm, I'm operations. Like I can write software, but you don't want to sell it to nobody, right? <laughs> I can write automation, like great, but don't ask me, I'm full stack, no, right? <laughs> I'm I I am I'm I'm the I'm a king of one-liners and writing functions, right? But that still puts me light years ahead of a lot of people that have never done that, right? Um, I know Kubernetes, I know VMware, I know I know OpenVZ, like you know, like I understand, but I understand these things at a conceptual level, so I can learn anything else, right? Um, there is this aspect of learning the concepts. Right. And and like mm-hmm. like when we talked before, I talked about jujitsu a lot. And like there are fundamentals that lie behind the techniques. A lot of the things that we worry about and specialize in, they're just implementation details. Right. When you learn the concepts, right, behind how we do this, behind how you write software, behind how you design infrastructure, right? But you know, behind why an architecture looks the way it looks, right? Once you learn the fundamentals behind that. And learning the implementation implementation detail is really easy, right? Um, so because I know the concepts behind distributed systems, because I know the concepts behind resilient architectures, performant architectures, secure architectures, financially optimized architectures, between sustainable architectures, things like that, it doesn't matter what you like. You, you, I, I'm running this this SaaS. Okay, cool. I know what your architecture should look like, right? Why? Because there's only, you know, I understand the concepts behind it. You're not, you're not introducing to me anything new other than a new way to implement the exact same concept. Right. The same thing we've implemented a hundred times before, but now the names of the tools and software inside are a little bit different, but the shape whether, of it's yeah. still pretty much the yeah. same. Yeah. It's whether it all comes down to whether it's tabs or spaces, essentially, right? You know, it's like, <laughs> is it, is it semicolons? Is it not semicolons? Is it YAML or JSON? Right. These are minutia. Right. When I think about like the people that are looking for jobs now that were recently laid off, part of their challenge is to prove that they have the skills you're talking about. It's easy when someone knows you. And so they know your past. They know your background. Maybe they've worked with you before. But if you just got laid off from a company, trying to prove that through a resume or a LinkedIn profile and also... uh, separating yourself from all the other people out there who are also looking for a job like that's that's hard well it's hard and too so what do the companies do now is they're going to sit you up in this leap code test or this 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 other kind of test it's basically since you like we need you to prove that you know this stuff right and i can see like that aspect of a practical practical nature like yes are you do you actually know python well to these kinds of things like that and i can understand that right but when you sit me down for like leak coding interviews, you're going to have me write, draw on a whiteboard. Like, I'm never going to do that. 
in a IRL. Like I'm going to have access to Google. We're going to have this discussion. It's going to be collaborative, right? And that's what I want to see. I don't want to see. I don't want to see your mastery of trivia. I want to see how you work. Do you understand the concepts of what we're trying to do? And then we'll figure out the implementation details because they're going to change all the time, anyways. Like I don't care if you know all the Java functions off the top of your head. Why? Because well, not Java because Java doesn't change. Uh, I don't care if you know all the JavaScript functions right uh, off the top of your head or you know this particular framework because in three months some other framework is going to be the framework du jour, right? Mm-hmm. I care that you know the concepts. I care that you can work on a software development team that we can have a discussion about how to do things. That's what's important, and 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 I think that's where um, where it kind of comes off comes off the rails for a lot of people is they get so stuck in, I understand the minutia and that they interview trying to understand the minutia, but I want to see who you are. I want to see how you, how you work. Right. Um, and I think that's how you can distinguish yourself. Can you talk to your coworkers? Can you talk to any of the people and express ideas and listen to ideas and incorporate those ideas in yourself like that? It's not always about the implementation detail. We work on teams, right. Mm-hmm. Um, and people that, show that they can work in teams, even if they're not familiar with all the people in there, are going to be more valuable to most of your employers, right? Because whether or not you understand the implementation details is going to come out real quick. But typically, if you know how to communicate like that, you're going to be able to pick those things up, right? Either that or you're you're a master bullshit artist, which is fine, right? (laughs) But, But you'll probably still do just fine in that team, even if you are, because you'll be able to grease some wheels and get things done. Can you contribute? Sure. In some way, shape or form. I, I agree and disagree with you, Tim, because I've been on both sides of this. As an interviewer, I interview more or less in the style that you're describing. I want to know how you're going to function uh, in this team. I want to know how you interact with other people, how you solve problems. I don't care necessarily that you know every detail about a routing protocol or fill in the blank with whatever the technology is. I care that you can demonstrate you have the experience you said you have on your resume, that you're not lying to me on your resume because I've had those people come through as well. So you want to do enough screening to know someone, right. the person sitting in front of you is uh, is legit. But I don't, you know, because as you said, we all have search engines and so on. We can we can look things up. It's fine. Uh, yeah. But the, the the flip side of this is I've also been interviewed where it was a trivia contest. And the way you set yourself apart was how much of the stupid minutiae you knew. And I have heard stories from people that come out of some large employers like Google and uh, Meta and the process they go through to distinguish themselves and get that job offer at those organizations is grueling. And a big part of it is minutiae. So it can't just be setting yourself apart because of your ability to work in a team or communicate effectively for some groups there is that need for or at least desire on the part of whoever's hiring to have you demonstrate just how deeply nerdily knowledgeable you might be i would posit right that a corporation or organization that bases its uh interview process on mastery of trivia is probably not somewhere you would want to work. Well, I think that's part of it. I wouldn't say base it, Tim. I would say that is part of it in some organizations. Sure, sure, sure. I mean, again, you have to be able to make sure that obviously that you, you have a minimum uh, competency, right? To understand like what it is, as you said, that you didn't lie about, lie what's on your resume, but it doesn't take much. It doesn't even take trivia questions to sniff that out. 
right? Uh, I can just ask you to explain something to me. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to know whether you're making it up or not, mm-hmm. right? Because I know it. That was right. my approach so as it's well. Like, it's, oh, you it's, said it's, you worked on X. Tell me about that. And then you just yeah, yeah. see where, where it goes. How did you, did you ever run into this problem? What you do with it, right? Yeah. Right, because somebody says, you know, I worked on this and they use a zookeeper. I'm like, what do you think a zookeeper, right? <laughs> and then if they say, oh, I love it and blah, blah, blah. And like, now I know you're lying. <laughs> Nobody loves zookeeper. People, you, you, zookeeper is something you endure. <laughs> it, is, it is a consequence. It's not a feature, right? And, and anybody who's ever worked in the production is going to say something similar. Like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. You work with that? Okay, what do you think of zookeeper? Like, oh, God. you know, we got it running, but, you know, I'm, okay, done. I already know. I can, I can, see, <laughs> I can see the trauma in your eyes. <laughs> right? Yeah. I already know. <laughs> yeah. Anybody who said they worked on a, a BlackBerry Enterprise server, if they weren't immediately angry about it, then uh, I, I know that they never touched a Bez in their lives. Yeah. Yeah. There's some, <laughs> and there's some things you know. And, and you get to the, because you understand, like, what were my struggles with this thing, right? And, it, and if they say, like, yeah, you know, we had this thing. We figured it out because we did this and this and this. Now I'm interested. I'm like, all right, well, huh? Oh, yeah, we have that problem right now. You want to come help me out? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but even if I just know that you can commiserate, like, I'm going to throw something out there. It literally has bait to see how you do with it, right? And, and based on your response, I'm going to know whether you know what you're talking about or not. It, it, and and here's, a great, here's a great way to do it, right? Because I used to be a chef. And so when we would do interviews for chef, people would say, I work on this and this and this and this and this, right? I'm like, okay, how do you keep your holidays from breaking? If they don't know what I'm talking about, oh, well, you just whip it up more. Like, okay, thank you. Next. You know, like, no, no. Right. Because everybody has a sauce break, right? And depending on the type of sauce, they can usually explain to you if, they, if they're far enough along, right? If you say you've been a saucier here, like, how do you keep this from breaking? Right. When you do this, like, like, you know, just tell me about, tell me about the process about him making this. And if they don't know it, they're, you're going to know real, real quick. Um, right. So I don't have to have you tell me, you know, where did this originate and what are the five, you know, the ratios, blah, 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 blah. You know, I don't, that's not important to me. Right. Uh, I want to know what your experience with it is. The tri- And that's going to tell me whether you know the trivia or not. That's really interesting. So, in, in a way, what you're saying is if you land an interview, Probably the best way to prepare for a company you actually want to work for is to look on what look at what's on your resume and think about each technology and a story behind it, some way that you encountered it. That's it. It is the story. When I interview somebody, I want their stories. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's what the resume the resumes should just be like a table of contents for the story you can talk. And I'm gonna skip around like and then see how these things relate to it, right? Um, and so like the resume is going to have, my resume is, is incredibly long. My resume is four and a half pages, um, right? And I'm not going to shrink it down for anybody or anything. If you don't want to read, if you don't want to read my four and a half page resume and you're only going to do one page and you're obviously not diligent, I don't want to work for you in the first place. And you can, you can quote me on that, right? If I'm going to go through the process of doing a six hour interview process, you know, a 10 hour, nine, nine interviews or whatever, right? Do all this stuff like that. You can at least read my goddamn four and a half page resume. <laughs> That's funny because when I was in you know high school and college, the the advice was always your resume should be one page, two pages at the most. You know, I feel like if you're in high school or college, yes, your resume should not exceed two pages because if you have that much experience, how could it? <laughs> right? 
I've been doing this now. This will be, I'll be coming up on, on 27 years. I'm doing this. I have a four page resume. Cause also yeah. I want to be able to read it. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm, <laughs> you know, if the writing is this small to fit all <laughs> one page or, or you have gaps and now I have to explain gaps or you have this, like, I don't look, man, it's all here. Read it. Mm-hmm. Ask me questions about it. The room would take you on a little venture between my, in my resume. Right. And then, and, and they're not all wins. Right? <laughs> right. That's the other thing too. It's like, it's like I want to find out. I don't, it's, it's like, it's like anything else. Like how do we learn best? We learn best by, by messing things up sometimes. Right. So we do a retrospective on an event, right? Not because we did everything right. But we need to figure out how we need to do better. You can have that on a resume too, like blah, 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 you know? And when you talk about, you want to listen to things like that and tell me this, well, this wasn't great, man. And, and these things were bad. And like, yeah, I got pipped on it because I wasn't, you know, like you can have that level of honesty, right? Um, because if you paint everything good, that you're good all the time, everything was always, you were never wrong. <laughs> My biggest weakness is that I'm too precise. Yeah, right. You know, <laughs> yeah, it's a real problem. Yeah. <laughs> and so I'll be like, yeah, no, I had a hard time with this. Because because they're going to ask you, well, tell me about a time that you didn't get along. You know, like those ones. And those are those are always like, I would be more specific. I'm like, do you ever end up on a pip anywhere? Why? Because <laughs> I'll lead off like, look, I've been pipped. I've been pipped several times. Like in 27 years, you think I've never been pipped? Hell yeah, I've been pipped, you know? Or ask me about the time I selected completely the wrong hardware for a backup solution and cost the university $10,000. Ask me about that and what I learned. Because I learned ask a about, lot. <laughs> ask about the time your name had to be removed from the retrospective so people wouldn't look at you differently. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, like because I, I want to know what you did and what you learned. Right. right? Because if you've never screwed up, the likelihood of you, you're going to screw up eventually. The likelihood you're going to screw up now here, right? <laughs> like, do Odds I, are. My, my ready to roll those dice, you know? Well, yeah. And then the, the other assumption is if you tell me you've never screwed anything up, you're just lying. And yeah. you screwed up a whole bunch of things. And you've gotten really good at covering it up, which yeah. is also not something I really want. And, you know, like, that's the kind of level of honesty I would like. And, and obviously, we don't get it. But that's the kind of thing that I would like. Because I do want to talk about, like, not everything has... It's I don't want to... I don't want to interview your representative. Right? I don't <laughs> want to... Rep, rep, I don't want to interview your avatar. So, uh, the three of us are in a unique kind of position where all of us have, like, a personal brand that is somewhat known in the tech community. I've seen a bunch of talks where people talk about how you need to build your personal brand. You should be blogging. You should be creating content. You should be putting your face out there. And I think that works for a very specific type of person. The type of person who's going to get up and give a talk. That works really well for them. But for the rank and file person who just wants to clock in, do their sysadmin jobs for eight hours and clock out, building a brand is insane. No. Why? God. (laughs) <laughs> I'm tired just thinking about it. Can you imagine having to go to every can, every candidate's website and every blog post they read and everyone's got this and everyone's got that? And like, gosh, no. Because also, like, why do we, do, if you're, if you're a, just your run of the mill JavaScript developer, right? You know, front end, full stack, back end, whatever, like that. You know, like, do you have to have a brand? No, I don't think so. Like, you can just go, can you do it? Great. You're hired, you know? Like, can you do it? Are you a liability? Can you talk in a team without catching charges? Great. Right, come come on in. Here's a laptop. Go pick it up. Right. That's you know, because why? Why do you why do you need a brand for that? Now, 
if I'm hiring for a leadership position or something that's going to be in front of people a lot, like that's going to talk to the public, it's going to talk to customers. I want to know who you are. I want to know how you think. I want to know how you talk. I want to know, again, are you going to be a liability, right? Mm. Or, or, or are you the kind of liability I want to take a chance on? Like a, you know? like a Tim Banks, for instance, God. you know? <laughs> oh, no, I can, I can absolutely be a liability. As you know, I like to pop off, right? <laughs> and, 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 and I was very upfront. About it. It's not like it's never gotten me in trouble because it has. But at the same time, like, you know, if you hire me, what you're going to get. Well, I think that's interesting when you're thinking about grooming people for a leadership position. Part of that might be helping them to develop a, a public facing persona. Yeah, I think there's some of that. It's it's interesting, though, because it's like. Do you want your leaders to be the kind of person that's going to go seek, you know, the kind of, you know, fortune and glory, as as they said in the movie, right? Um, and And I don't know that I do. And And so, like. There, there, we're going to get into like, we're going to dive deep into this discussion of leadership because it's like, what does a leader do? Mm. I, I think it depends on the leadership position because there's some leaders that are really there to serve and grow their people. All right. All right. We're already, we're already, we're already going off the rails because you're talking about a role. I'm talking about quality. Mm. What does a leader do? And the what answer does? can't be leads. <laughs> but what does a leader do? I don't know. What does a leader do? To so my, uh, let me, let me preface this by saying my, my experience atypical for tech. I feel like I started off in the military. Military is very big on leadership principles and fundamentals. Now our, our purpose for doing so is not the most ethically pure to, to be sure. Right. But there are some things that are not related to you know, war fighting that do come into that do carry over. The first thing that a leader does is he takes, or they take care of their people first and foremost. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and what, it, well, what does that mean? It's like, are your needs met? Right. Are you fed? You have a place to say, you get paid. Right. <laughs> you know, those things like that, like the basics, right. I can't expect you to go and do something for me. If you're hungry, you haven't slept and you ain't been paid. Right. I need to make sure those needs are met right now. Again, military that governs their entire lives, but you can at least make sure that, Hey, are your facilities set? Do you have all the things you need? Do you have your accounts unlocked? You know, do, do, do you, are there any impediments to your success right now that I can remove for you? First and foremost, right? The second thing a leader does is they deflect things off of the people that they serve or that, that serve under them, Right. Or really that they serve, right? You don't have, you shouldn't be getting yelled at by anybody in this company. No mm -hmm. one should be raising their voice at you, right? If you have feedback to give, you give it to me. I will collect that and I will, I will pass that on, right? If anybody's going to get yelled at in the office, it's not going to be this junior developer. You want to yell at them, you yell at me. And I, get, I dare you to yell at me. <laughs> and so those kinds of things. Leaders are aware of the people. The mission right, is what you get accomplished with the people, right? But you have to be aware of, you have to take care of your people so that they can accomplish the mission, right? Now, in the case of, of you know, companies, for-profit companies, right, the mission is whatever these business objectives and goals are like that, right? You have a leader that will set those goals, say, we want to do this and this and this and this. But it takes other leaders to be like, 
that's dumb. We're not going to do that. Are you kidding? Like, why would we do that? You're going to need to explain to me why I'm going to have my people try and do this because I can't explain it to them right now, right? So you got to be able to sell your vision. So you top leader sells their vision to the bottom leaders and helps them out. Understand, hey, what can I do so that you can get this to your people so we can get this done, right? I'm an enabler. I'm trying to enable you. So first to see the vision, right? Then to make sure you have everything you need the vision. And then I will help you sell the vision to everyone else who's actually got to do it. Because if the person at the bottom rung is not on board with the vision, they're going to turn something out. May not be what you want, but you're going to turn something out, right? How do you get them on board with the vision? Well, they got to trust you, right? How do you make them trust you? You got to take care of them. To go back to an earlier portion of the conversation where we were talking about like learning skills, generalists versus other types of roles. All three of us are getting towards the, I won't say the end of our career, but we've been in this for a while. We're all 20 plus year veterans. There's a new generation of people who are coming into tech. How do we invite them in, help them adopt some of the things that we've learned and maybe avoid some of the pitfalls that we've encountered in our career? Well, I think first and foremost, we have to understand that they're not going to respect us just because we exist, just because we've existed longer, <laughs> right? Respect Tim, I'm old. <laughs> Respect your elders. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because they're going to come in with fresh perspectives and they're going to come with different ideas. We have experience and that's great, but we also can't beat them over the head with our traumas. Whether that's, uh, you know, you know, Peter maybe learned these things. Joe maybe learned these things, right? Like I had to do all this stuff. So you have to do too, right? What we talked about earlier, right? That's not how you do it. I worked 80 hours a week and, and slept in the office and had pokey bait for, for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. So you should too. No, heavens no. I did that. I don't want, I don't, no. God, no, that's dumb. Things like that. I want to get their perspectives first. Like we hired you for a reason. You know, like, you know, if we, if we just wanted old people, we would hire old people. Right? right. And that's not like an ages thing, but I'm talking about people who are old in the industry. Right. If we wanted nothing but 20 year vets, that's what we would hire. But we don't want that. Nobody wants that. We want different perspectives. And that comes around to the conversation around inclusivity and, 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 uh, and diversity, right? Because we want to have different types of people for different perspectives. Uh, and, and that doesn't like, you know, that's just not going to include everybody that looks like you or looks like your neighborhood. You right. know what I mean? Like we've got to get people from all over. Like I, I remember having this conversation, uh, with people who want it's like, oh, we've got to hire, you know, out of Stanford and all these other colleges. I'm like, well, why not hire an HBCU? And say, so, well, we're looking for the top quality candidates. So I was like, I want you to explain to me why an HBCU candidate can't be a top quality one. And if I think you're being racist, we're going to go outside and fight. Yeah. I, the tendency is to go with what you're familiar with, mm -hmm. whether that's people or institutions or processes. Um, but doing that all the time creates blind spots, stuff you don't know and you can't know or would be very difficult for you to understand based on your experience. So bringing in people that come from a different background or perspective, in theory, should help you do your job better and do a better service to the company. At least that's the perspective I try to take, but it, it forces you to be uncomfortable. And well, people does. don't like being uncomfortable. Well, it does force you to be uncomfortable. And you also have to maybe realize that why are you in the position where you are, right? You know, that was the whole survivorship bias thing. And we were talking about this before we started recording, but it's like, you know, who gets promoted typically? The person that I 
feel most comfortable with because they're familiar in some regard. And, and, and what does that mean? It typically means someone who looks like me is what it usually means. Yeah. Right. Usually, primarily white dudes. Now, does that mean that white dudes have a monopoly on leadership or capability? No, certainly not. Right. But there are some biases at stake. And it doesn't even have to be right. It doesn't even have to be any intent behind it. Like, well, I checked this off because this person had this school and they had this, you know, degree and they had, you know, this person refer to them and they had like all these things, which seem very, very good. But there's a lot of things that go into why that person was in that position to do that. Right. That don't necessarily make them the person best capable of doing that job. And so you have to ask yourself, especially when we come to getting to leadership roles, who is capable of leading? And it can be anybody. And it can mm -hmm. be somebody who doesn't necessarily have a title on their resume, a role in their resume that says, you know, you are in this role. Why? Because leadership is a quality. It's not a role. Right? There are a lot of people who are called leaders who are not, in fact, leaders, right? Any, any CEO who has to lay off people because they made a mistake in hiring them but does not get laid off themselves, that is not a leader. That's a manager, right? That's, 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 you can replace them with a spreadsheet, AI. You know, if I'm just, now if all I'm doing is shuffling around like resources, I don't need a person to do that. I can get a script to do that, right? right? But we're talking about leadership. That's a quality. Right. And there are people who have not had those opportunities extended to them. And once 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 you get passed up a few times for those things, then it gets out of pocket. Like imagine, if you will, right, a person who, you know, a person of, of you know, doesn't matter their background. Right. Who was passed over for leadership. It doesn't really get lead, offered leadership roles, but it is a high level IC. Right. Mm -hmm. And if they want to transition to leadership, what you can do, make them be an engineering manager. Take a half, take, take a, take a pay cut, half, 50% pay cut. No, even though they can have a career's worth of knowledge and understand the ins and outs and be able to do the role, no one's going to offer that person the director role or a VP role. I mean, not no one, right? It does happen, but it should happen more often if folks put their hat in the ring. I want to talk to you and figure out why. And if the only reason that I'm going to not go with you, is just because you don't have experience in the role, you're going to have to explain to me why that matters so much. I'm going to try to bring this in for a landing by going back to something we were talking about earlier. And that is how we used to have to build systems from scratch. And we used to like to engineer things. We used to, you know, build our own custom PCs. I'm, I'm sure all three of us have done that at some point. But then at a certain point, we just want the thing that's prepackaged and already works, right? We want just ship me the thing that works. That doesn't work with people. I can't always have my requirements in my uh, in my job rec say, you know, needs 10 years of experience in these four technologies and also five years of leadership experience. That person might not exist. Or if they do, they're going to be a very expensive, specific kind of person. We still need to be willing to build up people, even if we don't want to build infrastructure from the ground up. Yeah, yeah. And and I think the the thing that we talk about is like, do we take a chance on people? Right. We do so much in this industry for risk aversion. Right. Mm. But then what do we what do we preach in, in DevOps? Fail fast. Right. Yeah. Why aren't we willing to do that with with people and in some of these roles? The cost of hiring someone with less experience that you're taking a chance on 
is going to be far less than the chance you're taking on someone that has a ton of experience, but they suck because they're going to be harder to fire and they're going to cost you more to begin with. So if we're doing this purely from a risk and like financial perspective, it makes more sense to hire two people who with less experience and try to train them than it does to hire the much more expensive single person. There's an interesting thing. I'm going to pull this one from jujitsu again. If when you get somebody who's brand new to jujitsu, right? They tend to be easier to train than someone who's trained extensively somewhere else, but mm. maybe not not great, right? They learn a bunch of bad habits, right? If they're dangerous, they roll spastically, like they're harder, much harder to deal with than someone that just doesn't know what they're doing, right? Because a person who doesn't know what they're doing typically knows that they don't know what they're doing. <laughs> the person who is convinced that they do, right, is real hard to convince otherwise. And you're going to give that person a lot of leeway, right? The main problem is a lot of these people end up as CEO, maybe of major music streaming companies, for example. No, nobody, just just any industry. Yeah. Just throwing that out there. I think we could easily pick many examples across industries. (laughs) But what happens, right? Oh, I screwed up. So we're going to lay off, you know, 5,000 people. Oh, my bad. Oops, my bad. And then they make, and then who was the guy that made the video like, oh, I'm so sad that I have to lay these people off and like, there's more than one. Yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> and the main problem, what it, what it comes down to, it comes down to an erosion in trust, right? Not even of the people that you laid off, but the people that are still there, especially. Mm-hmm. They don't trust you anymore, right? And why should they? Now they're just there to collect a paycheck, right? Because there was no accountability. Not really, right? These people, other people became accountable for leadership's mistakes. But leadership didn't really have any accountability. Well, they got a lot, they got a lower bonus this year. Oh, oh, I'm so sad for you. Right. <laughs> but and and it's hard. And so, like, once you destroy that trust, it's never coming back. There, there are people that have survived that that you'll never get. Even if they keep working there, you'll never get them back. Right. They're never back on board. Right. And that's the that's the real cost, right? That's the real cost of, of a failure of leadership. Not not even just a failure of leadership. It's the lack of accountability. And right. And then, like I said, once you lose trust, think, think about it for any product, right? How hard is it once customers, once your customers lose trust in your product, how hard is it to get it back? It's not easy. No, for it's sure. not easy. Yeah. yeah. And, and if you're big enough, you can survive it. Like, look at how many big companies have data breaches, right? They're just really compromised and they're going to be okay. Right. But anybody else, right? It's hard. It's catastrophic, even, right? And and you have most 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 companies worth their salt have scenarios for like how bad is how bad is like is is business closing bad? And so you have that run the risk and you and you run against that, but they don't ever factor in how bad a decision can we make where you know what's it gonna look like when our employees lose trust in us? And you should be planning against that. This has been Quite the far-ranging and interesting conversation, Tim. I was I was excited to have you on the show, and I had a feeling this is the kind of show we were going to end up with. So, um, thank you for coming on Day Two Cloud. Uh, is there anything you want to plug or mention before we hit the outro? Um, so developer.dell.com and the Dell YouTube channel where I, where I work. Uh, we've got a lot of interviews coming up from that we did during um, that we did during KubeCon. Uh, my interview with Kelsey Hightower just, just hit out there yesterday. You should really check it out. Kelsey's brilliant. He's, he's amazing and has a lot of great things to say. Um, and then we're looking for after the new year, February, 
um, a documentary we've been working out. We've been working on uh, on DevOps. Uh, Six part documentary should be coming out in February. That so stay tuned cool. for that. All right. Well, if that's out when this publishes, we'll include a link in the show notes. Yay. Yeah, Tim Banks. Thank you so much for being a guest today on Day 2 Cloud. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. And hey, virtual high fives to you, dear listener, for tuning in. Uh, if you have suggestions for future shows, we would love to hear about them. You can hit either of us up on LinkedIn or fill out the form on our fancy website, packetpushers.net or day2cloud.io, whichever one you feel like spelling out. And speaking of all this community and career development, did you know that uh, Packet Pushers has a free Slack group that you can join if you visit packetpushers.net slash Slack. It's a marketing-free zone for engineers to chat, compare notes, tell war stories, solve problems together, maybe even get some career advice. Again, packetpushers.net slash Slack. Until next time, just remember, cloud is what happens while IT is making other plans.